Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is my brother from another mother. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Today we are drinking Devil's Triangle by Florida Beer Company in beautiful Cape Canaveral, Florida. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. Mm -hmm. I said it last week, Captain, this is IPA weather, so check out this IPA. Devil's Triangle has a hazy golden amber color with hints of citrus and grapefruit to start and a strong pine bitter finish. And Devil's Triangle was brought to us by these little devils. First up, we have Vanessa in Wellington, New Zealand. Like your GM. Next, we have Robin in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And all the way up in Kingston, Ontario. A big shout out to Sherry. Next, we have Frank in Gatesburg, Maryland. Frank says, great show. America needs you. America. America needs you. He loves the funky music and our desire for justice. That's because we're in America. We got to keep it funky in America. Also, we want to give a shout out to Tony and Sabrina in Brick, New Jersey. Tony, Mm -hmm. congratulations to you for seven years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. So hats off to you, my friend. Cheers to you. Can you cheers to that? You can take your hats off to you. I tip my hat to you, my friend. And we've been flooded with birthday shout outs. So first up, we say happy birthday to April, who is celebrating. And we also give a big birthday shout out to Helena Lee. Happy 30th, Helena. All right. And then 25th birthday. Big shout out goes to Ryan in Southern Ontario. His girlfriend sent that. She must actually really like you, Ryan. So happy birthday to everybody out there and thank everybody for filling up the fridge this week. And if you want to pitch in for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And guess what number we were sitting at last night? Do you know? Sitting at for... For worldwide. Worldwide rankings of podcast shows. Well, I don't even know if it's worldwide <laughs> ranking. It might just be America ranking. We're number 35th. 
Ooh. Number fifth, thirty-fifth well, in, in the United States of America. We can't take credit for that. We got to give credit to the listeners. Big shout out to you guys. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for playing. Somebody was telling me about this road trip they took, and they were playing the show for everybody. Now they're hooked. Now they're in the garage. Now they want to do some partying with Nick and the captain. The garage is getting full. We might have to change this to True Crime Warehouse. (laughs) If you'd like to give us a five-star rating, do so on iTunes now. It helps the show tons. And I will be shipping the T-shirts this week, the Douche Canoe shirts. So... Look forward to that. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. December of 2008. You learned in December of 2008 that the remains of your granddaughter were found. Is that correct? Yes, sir. What effect did that have on you when you learned that Haley's remains had been found? A deep, a deep hurt inside tears, the whole gamut of just an emotional loss, a breakdown inside of me, and seeing what my wife and my son went through. Up to that moment, had you held out the hope that Kaylee would be found alive? Absolutely. Every day from July 15th until the day we were told, It was Kaylee. In January of 2009, you went. Oh, I'll give you a minute. Need to break the stand? No, sir, I need to get through this. I need to have something inside of me get through this. Do you need to break the stand? No, sir, I'm fine. In January, just let me know when you're, when you're okay. I'm okay, sir. On January 22nd of 2009, Mr. Anthony, you went and got a gun, didn't you? My understanding of the events of this date are that Mr. Anthony went and got a gun that he did so with the purpose, I believe he will testify, he did so with the purpose of forcing people who he believed might know something about who killed Kaylee, specifically friends or boyfriends of the defendant, with the intention of forcing them to reveal what they knew and then taking his own life. It is revealed in the suicide note, and I believe he will testify that that's what happened. The defense has brought up the suicide. I do, so the court knows, intend for him to identify 
his suicide note, and in my case, I do intend to offer it because it shows that on January 22nd of 2009, this man had no idea who killed Kaylee Marie Anthony. And it rebuts implications by the defense that he did. It's directly contradictory to the defense's argument, and it is proof. And I do have case law when we uh, try to admit the note, but at this point, the circumstances of the suicide <coughs> were raised by defense counsel when he asked the question about that event, and I believe I'm entitled to go into that. On the <coughs> 22nd of January of 2009, this is um, approximately six weeks after the remains were found. Did you travel to a hotel in Daytona Beach for the purposes of taking your own life? Yes, sir. Why, on that particular day, did you decide to take your life? Why that particular day I picked out, I, I really don't know. All I know is my emotional state, even through today, is uh, is very hard to accept that I don't have a granddaughter anymore. But for that particular day, I don't know, it just felt like the right time to go and be with Kaylee. Did so, you uh, call relatives and, perhaps not literally, but say goodbye? Say your last goodbyes to them. Oro, I wanted to talk to my parents, uh, my sisters. I know I called my son and, and my wife and just said, no, no, I was okay. Um, yes, to say goodbye for the last time. Did, did any of them try to get you to tell where you were? You, do you remember the... the the content of the conversation? No, because really, I, I was supposed to be going to a meeting that day, and uh, I just, I don't know, I just decided that was the time for me to get away from all this, to spend time with Kaylee. The trial of Casey Anthony, the trial of the woman that the media was calling the most hated woman in America, is about to be underway. But before we get eyeballs deep into the trial, just a couple of little tidbits leading up to it. We have April 14th, 2009. That's when the state of Florida announces that they will seek the death penalty in the trial against Casey Anthony. January 26, 2010, Casey Anthony pleads guilty for 13 fraudulent check charges. In April of 2010, Judge Stan Strickland steps down after the defense team files a motion accusing him of having inappropriate conversations with a blogger. Mm -hmm. Now, this blogger, go who goes by the name of Marinade Dave, he blogged about the Casey Anthony case often. Uh, and he had articles about the case, and one of his articles was titled "Casey Anthony Must Die." Strickland basically had all oh, that guy was just he was getting right to the point. Yeah, he it, it seems like the blogger had already chose his side, and it might be 
easily considered inappropriate for the judge to be having interactions with this blogger. Mm-hmm. Basically, Judge Strickland had a private meeting with the blogger, having lunch with him, uh, discussing the case, and even giving him a tour of sorts of the court building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that uh, Judge Stan Strickland was a fan of Marinade Dave. So after the defense files the motion, Stan Strickland steps down for the trial. Strickland would make a comment to the media stating that it appears that the truth and Miss Anthony are strangers. Yes, that was a comment that he had made. And of course, Jose Baez and the defense team later would state that this is a big time inappropriate statement for the judge to be making. So we now have Judge Belvin Perry Jr. who is appointed to take over the case. Mm -hmm. August 14th, 2010, Cindy Anthony appears as a guest on the Today Show where she calls Casey Anthony a victim. And she also claims that she is not involved with what happened to Kaylee's remains. Later that month, George and Cindy Anthony's attorney, Brad Conway, he steps down because he disputes a Jose Baez motion claiming Conway was given unrestricted access to documents belonging to Texas EquiSearch, mm-hmm. to which the defense team was not given the same access. Before jury selection, the defense filed a motion for a change of venue to move the trial out of Orlando. You know, you we have this 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 case that's about to go to trial. It's probably going to be the biggest case. They kind of knew this mm-hmm. going in. I yeah. mean, because of the media coverage before the trial was gigantic. And I, I think this is probably because of, you know, the precursor, like the OJ Simpson trial. Yeah. And you have, like you said, we have this media circus. We have all these people. She's already been basically convicted in the public's eye. Wouldn't you agree? And, Mm -hmm. and the thing here is Jose Baez and the defense team, well, they have an obligation to their client to provide her with a fair trial. And they don't think that they're going to be able to get that in Orlando with all the media coverage that they have had. So they filed for this motion of change of venue. Um, and it's Baez same says that he was hoping that the trial would get moved to a place like Miami, you know, a place that, that has a lot more going on, the more hustle and bustle where people weren't so in tune or so locked into all the media coverage of this case. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is judge Perry decides that they would not have a change of venue in order to find a fair jury, but rather the judge would select a city for the jury pool and they would bus this jury into Orlando and the location when, when he says this, the location of his choosing is not revealed to anyone for a while, but it is announced later that St. Petersburg slash Clearwater, Florida would be the location for the jury pool, which is actually, it's curious why he picks this location because it's only about an hour and a half away from Orlando. Mm -hmm. And now at this point we're at the jury selection. So Let's dive into that for a minute. Yeah. After the trial, defense attorney Jose Baez spoke of what they were looking for as they tried to strategize about shaping the jury to its liking. Jose said that the plan was to avoid young mothers and especially single mothers, stating that young and or single mothers would be constantly comparing themselves or comparing Casey to themselves throughout the trial. And they most likely would have a strong hate for Casey or at the very least, 
may convict her of murder just because they feel that she is a bad mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were hoping to fill the jury with as many males over the age of 45 as possible. Uh, the thinking here is that uh, an older, the older men may look at a female of Casey's age pretty much as like a child, mm-hmm. um, where you might be more willing to forgive a child or maybe overlook some acts that a child would make. Uh, on May 20th, 2011, after 11 days of jury selection, Judge Perry swears in a jury of five men and seven women, plus three men and two women as alternate jurors. Now, I want to take just a minute here and go through the jury uh, that was selected for this trial. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll let them remain nameless, but we'll talk about them, how the prosecutor as well as the defense team kind of saw them going into the selection process. Now, the first woman that was selected, she's an elderly Caucasian woman, and she's a retired nurse. Now, the defense was happy about this selection because, you know, older women, she's a nurse. Nurse, Nurses tend to be uh, nurturing. Um, And the defense also thought that there were some problems with some of the forensic evidence that the nurse might have somewhat of an understanding of. Um, The second juror was a 45-year-old African-American male. Uh, He's an IT guy. Uh, we've already discussed some things regarding the IT situation, you know, the the use of the family computer. Um, so they thought that somebody with knowledge in that background could be good for the defense, could also work out poorly for you and sway to the prosecution side. Mm-hmm. The third juror was a 32-year-old Caucasian female. Um, she was a volunteer at an alternative lifestyle camp. Um, and this this is a person that the jury really liked. Um, even though she was the jury really like, you mean the defense really, um, I apologize. The defense really liked this Mm -hmm. selection because of her volunteering at this, uh, at this camp, uh, that she might be somebody that was more understanding of young people or young adults, uh, and have, have some mindset towards that. The fourth juror juror selected was a 54 year old African American lady. Uh, now the thing I got to point out here is that the defense wanted to, they wanted a mixed race jury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense stated that African Americans have historically have been discriminated by law. Uh, so of course mm-hmm. they are less trusting of law enforcement and they wanted to kind of put, they, they, they really wanted to put a bunch of African Americans on the jury because of their distrust of law enforcement. And also that they, they believed that, because it was a death penalty case that that could sway in their favor as well. Well, I think we both, we've talked about this before. We, we both believe that, that, you know, looking back that that was probably a mistake, you know, by the prosecutors to, uh, or the state of Florida to go after the death penalty. Yes. The fifth juror selected was a 71 year old Caucasian woman, uh, retired, um, and there was a couple things that the defense really liked about her because of her age. She didn't have any young children. Uh, and the other thing was she didn't own a computer, nor had she ever owned a computer. So this was somebody that they knew right away might not have been privy to a lot of the information out there about Casey against Casey. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is somebody that wouldn't be, you know, communicating with bloggers or reading blogs about Casey. Juror number six was a 37-year-old white Caucasian male. He was a chef. 
Yeah, and he had several young children uh, that lived at his home. So this was one that the prosecution uh, really liked uh, because of the fact of him having young kids. Um, juror number seven is a 47-year-old divorced Caucasian female. She was a youth counselor. Uh, so you could kind of lump her in the group with the uh, the volunteer at the uh, the camp. Right, the summer camp. Mm-hmm. Juror number eight, we have a 60-year-old Caucasian woman. Um, she is a service rep mm-hmm. for a phone company. Uh, and juror number nine is a 53-year-old Caucasian male who is unemployed. Juror number 10. Uh, 57-year-old Caucasian male. Now, he, too, was a service rep for a phone company. Mm -hmm. And this is the same phone company as juror number eight, which was of major concern to both the prosecutor and the defense. Uh, The fear being here that the two knew each other. Uh, But it was very quickly established that they did not. Juror number 11 was a 30-year-old Caucasian uh, male gym teacher at a high school. Uh, apparently, this guy was pretty good-looking. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. This is not the defense or the prosecutor <laughs> stating that this man is, this is, is, is handsome. Are, this is your statements. This is my statement. This was one good-looking juror. He was, he was one handsome man. Wink, wink. Um, no, but the thing here is the, the reason why I say he must be pretty good-looking is because some of the media would refer to him as, instead of juror number 11, they would refer to him as George Clooney. Mm. So I get anytime you get compared to that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be compared to that guy. I've never, I've never been compared it, to that guy. It's not happening for me either. Juror number twelve is a sixty-one-year-old Caucasian female, and she worked at a Publix grocery store. Um, you know, we see some wins as far as the prosecution's concerned, and, and some wins as far as the defense is concerned. But those are their kind of general thoughts on the jury that was selected for this trial. Now, you know that both the prosecution and the defense, they get a good opportunity to vet these people before they are chosen to be on the jury. And according to questioning, it appeared that out of the 12 jurors chosen, that only one was considered to be pro-death penalty. Uh, May 24th, 2011, the trial begins in Orlando, Florida. The prosecution states after Casey's parents left the house, on June 16th, 2008. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm just trying to follow you. You're, we're, we're now to opening statements. We, yes, we are now mm-hmm. at the opening statement of, of the big trial. Some are calling it the trial of the century, the trial against the most hated woman in America. Mm-hmm. And the, the troll trial. Yes. The prosecution states that Casey's parents left the house on June 16th, 2008. Casey returned to the home with Kaylee at this time. Mm-hmm. Using chloroform, Casey knocked the kid out and placed duct tape over the mouth and nose of the, the baby, child, the baby, suffocating her. Mm-hmm. She then bundled the little girl's body up in trash bags and a laundry bag, placed them in the trunk of the vehicle she was driving, and left the home. That evening, she went on a date with her boyfriend, going to the Blockbuster video store to rent some movies. Like we talked about last episode. Then sometime before her vehicle was towed from the parking lot, Casey Anthony dumped the body in a wooded area just several feet from Suburban Road, about one quarter of a mile from the Anthony home. 
During the prosecution's opening statement, they made these claims and they went on to go through each of the events that took place in the 31 days that expired between the time Kaylee went missing and the time that she was reported as such. Needless to say, it was a rather lengthy opening statement. The defense states that Kaylee never was missing. Kaylee Anthony died June 16th, 2008, when she drowned in her family's swimming pool. Defense attorney Jose Baez says to the jury that the Anthony family is extremely dysfunctional and that Jose Baez wanted to take the jury into the Anthony home on Hope Spring Drive, stating that Casey was out partying and having fun during the days that Kaylee was unaccounted for because she was hiding in that deep, dark place called Denial a place that she had hid most of her life. The defense told the jury that Casey was a good mother, that Kaylee was never abused and was never without food, without clothing, or without shelter, stating that the jury would not hear one person testify about Kaylee being abused or mistreated by Casey. And Baez is going to claim that, you know, this whole family is just, about lies and secrets. And this is going to start way back when Casey was just eight years old. Yes. The lies and secrets are are all wrapped in this case. And it started when she's eight years old, when her father came into her room and began to touch her inappropriately. And it escalated and escalated. It started with fondling and then led to intercourse. He stated that George was having sex with Casey several times a week until she was 12 years old. Baez suspected that George either stopped at this time because she was getting either too old for his taste or the threat of the young girl getting pregnant. And then when Casey was older, her older brother, Lee, then inherited the traits of his father and Lee began sneaking into Casey's room at night and fondling her. This started with with Lee when Casey was 15 years old. And these were all secrets that Casey kept, that she hid. And this is why she is a liar. She had to learn to lie to hide the family secret. Pointing out further how dysfunctional the Anthony family is, Baez brought up a wedding attended by the Anthony family when Casey was seven months pregnant. And and showing it, too. She's showing the pregnancy. The Mm -hmm. whole family attended this wedding. And when when Cindy's brother asked her, well, isn't there something you would like to tell me about my niece? Cindy asked what? And her her brother says, well, she's clearly pregnant. Cindy and George denied the pregnancy, explaining Casey was just overweight. Baez pointed out that the parents hid the pregnancy and that if they hid this child in life, they would certainly hide this child in death, stating they hid this child like a flower in the attic. So what were the defense's claims to the accounts of death? Yeah, that's one thing that I found very interesting was that Baez went on to explain to the jury how Kaylee had died, Mm -hmm. stating that on the morning of June 16th, Cindy woke Casey and Kaylee before she left for work around 7 a.m., saying goodbye to them in their bed. Then the two went back to sleep. Sometime later, George woke Casey up. This is estimated to be several hours later and started yelling at her, you know, where's, where's Kaylee? Where's Kaylee? And the two of them went and searched the house. They searched the closets. They searched under the beds and Mm -hmm. in the garage, then the backyard. 
and then noticing the pool ladder to the family's above-ground pool was still up. He told the jury how George held Kaylee's lifeless body and yelled at Casey as Casey cried, telling Casey that her mother would never forgive her for this and that she was going to go to prison for the rest of her life for child neglect. The other thing he kind of brings up, uh, which is you know smart on his part, is he says, well, look, here's another thing that's a problem with the prosecution's um, claims is they don't really know how the baby died. We mm-hmm. don't know how Kaylee died. So therefore, how can you charge somebody with murder and on top of that, go after the death penalty when you don't know exactly how she died? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that had to have been a smart thing to do. You know, they don't know the cause of death and he's stating this right out of the gate and he's letting you know that, you know, you're going to hear this from the prosecution side later. What mm-hmm. I'm telling you now, they're going to back it up that they don't have the cause of death. So how can we charge anybody with murder? We'll get right back to the trial of Casey Anthony right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code True Crime Garage 50 at factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates. Back to the troll trials. Now, we have a lengthy trial to cover here, Captain, and we can't go through every detail of such. There were a lot of people that were called to testify, and if we did so, this this show, we would basically have to do a show that was the length of the trial. And we're here to just kind of point out the important parts as we see them, as well as maybe some you know peaks and valleys that took place during the course of the trial. So we're going to kind of pick... Um, some key players, some key characters that were involved in this trial, and we'll kind of give an overview of what took place of, of the statements that they made and testified to. So the first witness that is called by the prosecution is George Anthony. Now, under oath, he would state that he never sexually abused his daughter, Casey. Mm-hmm. He's going to state that he had no knowledge of the death of Kaylee 
or did he cover up the death of Kaylee in any way? Also, under testi- while testifying, he will state that he, as well as the tow truck manager, both agreed that from their experiences that they did smell what they considered to be human decomposition coming from Casey's car before George drove it home. All right, right. So exactly when they go to uh, pick up the car from it being in pound, they both smell the same thing. Yes, and this would be in July. Now, under cross-examination, George Anthony is going to state that he did not smell decomposition in Casey's car on June 24th, 2008. Now, this is when he would have seen the vehicle back at his home before it was ever towed. And just to be clear, he was not actually in this vehicle. He was just feet away from the vehicle on the 24th. The other thing that he would state, too, remember... Casey returned gas cans to him that were stolen from his shed Mm -hmm. that she stole from the shed. Now he would state that he did put duct tape over one of those cans after she had returned them to him. He also testified that he had bought a gun to threaten Casey's friends into telling him where Kaylee was, even though he knew that having a gun violated Casey's bail. Now the thing here is George believed that when they could not find Kaylee, that, that not only Casey may have known where she was, but her friends, the people that she was shacking up with during this 30-day time period, that they would know more about the Kaylee situation than her than he and Cindy knew. And he thought he was going to have to go and talk to these people and ask the hard questions. Often thought this would make an amazing show, mm-hmm. right? So what you do is you maybe dress up like clowns. I don't know what you... Yeah, because clowns are creepy, and you get some guns and some torturing devices, and you and these cases that aren't solved that you really want solved, you find these individuals and you torture them till till they tell you. All right, well, <laughs> I, just, I think it'd be a good show. It, it might work. We're I'm not big gonna put ratings. My, I'm not putting my stamp on that. Hey, uh, uh, Discovery, call me. That's right. Call him. Um, Jose Baez then asked George Anthony about his suicide attempt, which took place in January of 2009. And the next day, the judge allows the jury to see the suicide note. Now, this is one thing that we are yet to cover in this case. Uh, George Anthony did have a suicide attempt. This took place January 23rd, 2009. The, The basics of it are this that George decides to check himself into a hotel. He takes about 70 pills and he drinks as much alcohol as he can in an attempt to take his and end his own life. Uh, while there, he was texting family members and calling some of them. Uh, and he did in fact leave that suicide note, which the judge allows the jury to read. I think this is important evidence for the prosecution because the defense is trying to paint a picture here that, you know, well, look, the, how she died was that, that that George found Kaylee in the pool. Mm-hmm. And what the prosecution is going to claim is based off the evidence in the suicide note, it proves that George wasn't involved and he had no knowledge of what was going on. So do you want to read that note? Well, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I think I think at the time the, the defense is trying to state that, you know, this might show that there was a lot more going on with George. And, but I think you're right. The prosecution as well, they're, they're like, yeah, this also kind of shows 
he's innocent. Regardless, it's full of emotion. And the, the suicide note that the jury was allowed to read is as follows. It says, Synthony Marie, as you get this letter, this should be no surprise that I have decided to leave this earth because I need to be with Kaylee Marie. I cannot keep going because it should be me that is gone from this earth, not her. I have lived many years. I am satisfied with my decision because I have never been the man you, Lee, Casey, and especially Kaylee Marie deserved. I have never been the man any of you could count on. I have always let each of you down in more ways than I can remember. I do not feel sorry for myself. I am just sorry I burden all of you the way I have. My loss of life is meaningless. Cynthia Marie, you have always worked your hardest, given the most to me, and I have never thanked you. 28 plus years ago, you corrected me, a man who has now found his identity and life. What I mean is you always challenged me the right way, and I always could never live up to your expectations. You have always been smarter, more knowledgeable, and thought things through, and I love you for that. I cannot be strong anymore. Kaylee Marie, our granddaughter, I miss her. I miss her so much. I know you do too. You were always the one that provided for her. What did I provide? I blame myself for her being gone. You know, for months, as a matter of fact, for a year or so, I brought stuff up only to be told not to be negative. Kaylee Marie, I miss her. I miss her. I want my family back. I sit here falling apart because I should have done more. She was so close to home. Why was she there? Who placed her there? Why is she gone? For months, you and I, especially you, always question why. I want this to go away for Casey. What happened? Why could she not come to us, especially you, or why not Lee? Who is involved with this stuff with Kaylee? I'm going crazy because I want to go after these people Casey hung with prior to Kaylee being gone. That is why I got that gun. I wanted to scare these people. You know they know more than they have stated. You cannot sugarcoat, kid glove these people. They need hard knocks to get info from. Sure, that will not bring Kaylee Marie back, but was Casey threatened? You know, Casey does not deserve to be where she is. I miss her. I miss her so much. I am worried for her. Her personal safety is always on my mind. I try to deal with so, so much, as I do you also. I have never wanted to my family for sorrow in any way. I realize families have ups and downs, but we have suffered our share and then some. Cynthia Marie, you have always deserved more, and with me being gone, you will. I have always brought you down. You know that. You are better off. Lee will be there for you. I cannot function knowing our granddaughter is gone. Kaylee Marie never had a chance to grow. I wanted to walk her to school. I wanted to help her in so many ways. I sit here empty inside for her, for you, for us. Yes, you deserve more, and you will have freedom to enjoy what you deserve. I have taken what meds was given to me with alcohol, and I am ready to give up. As I can tell by my writing and thinking, I am getting very stupid. 
Wow, what a word, stupid. Yes, I am. Again, I do not feel sorry for myself. I am stupid. I cannot deal with stuff anymore. The loss of Kaylee Marie, the loss of Casey, the loss of us. Cynthia, Marie, the meds, I am ready. Saying goodbyes, please understand it is for the best. I do not deserve life anymore. You are the best. You always have been. I am sorry for all that I have done to us. I love you. I hope you get to see Casey soon. I am sorry. I will take care of Kaylee once I get to God, hopefully. I want to hold her again. I miss her. I will always love us. I am sorry, Cynthia Marie. I am so tired. I am sorry. I love you, Cynthia Marie. Kaylee, here I come. Lee, I am sorry. And like I've stated from the beginning, um, George was more of her father, you know, Kaylee's father, than he was the grandfather Mm -hmm. because she didn't have a father figure. So I, I would assume that that's how Kaylee saw him. And so I think this was a pretty crushing blow to him. I think this points to the idea that he didn't know what happened. So the defense's argument that Kaylee drowned and that George helped Casey cover this up, I think is a lot of malarkey. Yeah. And to be honest with you, Captain, I don't know which side of the fence was pushing for the (laughs) suicide note to be viewed by the jury. Mm-hmm. I think what the defense was trying to do, I don't think they were trying to accuse him of murder, obviously. They never state at any point during the trial that they believe he killed the girl. Right. But I think what the defense was trying to do was bring up this suicide attempt by pointing out pointing out that George may have, you know, because of this suicide, maybe he did have more involvement. Maybe he had more on his chest than we know about. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I think they brought I think they brought up the idea of suicide, and then I think the prosecution is the one saying, "Hey, look, if you're going to bring this up, that's fine, but this then we're going to look at this note, and by the context of the note, it points to the fact that he didn't know anything about it." And I, yeah, I agree one hundred percent. It would be totally different if he said, "I can't live with myself for what I've done," but he didn't say that. He said, "I got a gun, and I wanted to get answers." Mm-hmm. You know, and I and these people know more. The thing that constantly rings, uh, constantly with this family, is the enabling, and and parents never want their children to fail. They never want them to hit rock bottom. And most of the time, people know that if somebody's going through some crap in their life, they have to hit rock bottom. But if you have parents or friends that keep enabling you and keep bringing you to the surface, you never hit rock bottom. And I think that's what happened constantly with this family. Again, even in this note, even at the time of his, you know, wanting to take his own life to be with his granddaughter, he keeps on saying, my daughter doesn't deserve to be where she's at. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, she does. Yeah, but that's the parent in him speaking. And I, and I think what you hear in that suicide note, right. But some parents are more enablers than others. Yeah. And I think I think what you hear in that suicide note, you're exactly right. I think the it, it it totally if you if anybody on the jury had any speculation that the suicide attempt would help further the defense's case, if if you would believe that George knew then what what you were talking about, I think the suicide note clears that up really quickly mm-hmm. and it 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 washes that all away for me because in that note. Yes, he's talking about mainly about his shortcomings 
and things that the family deserved better and he didn't give enough and didn't do enough. But he never says that he's guilty of anything other than maybe he could have been a better parent or a better husband at times. Right. And I think these are all thoughts that whether we're having good days or bad days, I think we all have those thoughts in, in the back of our minds from time to time that we could be better parents. We could be better spouses. We could be better brothers or sisters or, or, or children uh, mm. to our parents. You know, we, you always have those feelings inside of you. And the, certainly there's no, there's no words of guilt in my mind in that suicide note. You do the best you can as a parent. You try to provide. At the end of the day, you just can. All you can do is try your best. Um, you know, tough thing. But then, so then next, they're going to start bringing up character witnesses for Casey Anthony. Yeah, they're going to call a lot of Casey's friends to the stand, um, and we're not going to go through them individually. But the the basic summary of what they're all kind of saying is that all of them had heard Casey at one point or several points, tell them lies about Casey having a job during that June and July of 2008. Right. The 30 days, basically. Yep, about uh, the nanny, you know, that Kaylee had a nanny. Um, these were all lies that she didn't just tell to her family. She was telling them to the friends as well. Uh, there were some that kind of stood out from from amongst the group there. One would be Amy. Remember her friend Amy, the one that she... Uh, stole money from? Yeah, she stole the checks from her. Now, Amy would state that she received a text from Casey on June 27th stating that Casey had a dead animal that she had hit with the vehicle and that was kind of wedged up in the, the frame of her car. Um, and that's all the further explanation she gives regarding this may be pointing out why there might be some kind of foul smell coming from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of importance is a former boyfriend testifies that Casey told him that uh, Casey's brother, Lee Anthony had sexually groped her at one point in her life. Um, Judge Perry does not allow um, the the jury to hear testimony from Casey's uh ex-boyfriend stating this, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that he had tried to grope her. And a witness that I thought was really interesting was the neighbor. The neighbor came forward and mm-hmm. said that in mid-June that uh, Casey came over with her boyfriend and asked to borrow a shovel because she wanted to dig up a bamboo root. Yeah, and there's some interesting things here. Um, you know, he couldn't give a date on that, but he did say it was sometime in mid-June Um, it didn't seem of anything of great importance to him. So why would he remember the exact date? Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing here is, you know, there, there's a great true crime author, Diane Fanning, who, who wrote a book very early in this case, actually before it went to trial. And shortly after she was arrested, uh, Casey Anthony being arrested, not Diane Fanning. Uh, but Diane gives her, gives her kind of idea of what she thinks happened in this case. And one thing she states in there is that she believed it was unbeknownst to her at the time that, that Tony was with Casey when she went to borrow the the shovel. And Diane speculated that maybe uh, Casey had borrowed the shovel to, to assist in disposing of the body mm-hmm. and that maybe the dogs, remember the dogs had gone, the cadaver dogs had smelled and hit on some points in the backyard of the Anthony family home. Right. And her thought was maybe, Casey's original thought was that she would bury the body in the backyard. We now know at this time she was not alone on that day. She was with her boyfriend, Tony, and he would further testify 
that they actually borrowed the shovel to break into the shed where they were going to go steal the, the, the gas cans. Now they're going to start calling police officers and FBI agents. And the first police officers that arrive at the Anthony's household, the day that they're going to report her missing. Remember those, the nine one one calls. They're going to claim that in the Pontiac, they didn't actually smell any deceased body. Right. Right. They, they didn't smell any human decomposition in Casey's car. They also did admit that they did not search the other two vehicles that were on the property that night. Um, a dog handler that is called, he describes the dog alerting to human decomposition in the trunk of this vehicle, mm-hmm. as well as near Kaylee's playhouse in the backyard. Now, and just since we're on this point, right, mm-hmm. they actually had a scientist that did this study or did this test, basically. He created this test. Yes. And what they would do was they would take this sample and they would kind of, I think they would liquefy it and then turn it into a vapor and then somehow put that into a can, whatever. Anyways, the test was to prove that there was a rotting body, basically. In the trunk of the car, yeah. Right. And so he he's done this test many times. He created the test. He created the he created the contraption that that conducts the test. This is Doctor uh, Voss, mm-hmm. um, and he you know he's got some big long word that describes this contraption that is going to conduct this test. Uh, but he does state that he found uh, using this test signs of human decomposition and a high level of chloroform in the trunk of Casey's car. Mm-hmm. So now we got two things pointing against Casey Anthony. Now, Baez, the defense attorney, is going to do something pretty smart here. Mm-hmm. He's going to state, well, that's great that you have this. It's scientific proof, okay? It's not, this is not an opinion, right? This is scientific proof. And Baez kind of shatters that by saying, well, you've never testified before. Well, not only has he not testified, but also this method of of determining that there was human decomposition in the trunk has never been used in any trial anywhere before. Right. And I would also just like to make the statement that it has been several hundreds, hundreds of times now since, since, since this date. Right. Uh, yeah. Baez would go on to claim that Dr. Voss had a uh, financial uh, well, of course interest he did. in this, because right. if, if he could get it into one trial, then this would be considered somewhat fact um, and it could be used all over the country. And this was a device that he could then sell to law enforcement. Right. And uh, a bunch of law enforcement use it now. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but that's because it's science. Mm-hmm. Well, an FBI forensic chemist uh, confirms chloroform residue in the trunk of Casey's car, but also states that household cleaning products leave traces of chloroform. Right. A professor of chemistry called by the defense says that Chemical compounds identified by Dr. Voss in air samples can be found in household products and garbage as well. Um, What ends up happening here is we get into this lengthy battle over is this test going to be considered evidence or not? Mm -hmm. You know, you have the prosecution wants it to be evidence, obviously, and the defense is going to try to poke as many holes in it as they possibly can. I found that this was one part of the trial that got a little chippy you know where it seemed like the defense and the the prosecution were kind of going at one another more than talking to the experts right uh what ends up happening is that judge perry decides 
because I don't, I'm not clear on how they got to this point, but this is how chippy it got. Judge Perry decides that he is not going to allow the jury to sniff air samples that were taken from the car trunk, from the trunk yeah, of the car. Yeah, they, they don't need to do that. Yeah, here, here, smell this. Don't be one of those people. Oh, my God, this salad tastes so bad. Try it. <laughs> no. Well, while, actually, while we're on the trunk of the car, let's talk about the single hair that was removed from the, the trunk of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was similar to the hair uh, from Kaylee's hairbrush. And it had what, what they call as root banding. And it was consistent with that from a decomposing body. Uh, that's what I'm calling the death band on that hair. Uh, the thing here is, you know, it, it, this is something that they are, again, it's kind of like the, the smell coming from the trunk. They have some proof of this, but the defense is pretty quick to poke some holes in this as well, because there were other ha- hairs that they found. You're a mother of a, the child, the child's in your car. There's hairs everywhere. Yeah. Right. So uh, so that's fine. And, and that's going to be easy for the defense to poke holes in. But the fact that there's this band is what's way more interesting to me. Yeah, they were able to get somebody. The defense was able to get someone to testify that that finding that on that hair could also just mean that it sat in the trunk of the car for an extended period of time. Right. Which you would think that like if you're getting groceries in and out of a car, a hair could fall off of her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty easy to explain. Another thing that was brought up, uh, we've brought up the duct tape already. Well, crime scene investigators identified a piece of Hinkle brand duct tape uh, found at the, the scene and testified that it is the same brand as George Anthony put on the red gas can. Uh, one investigator states that no Hinkle brand tape was found elsewhere in the Anthony's home. Now, FBI, they did test on, on this duct tape that was found on Kaylee's body and they could not find any fingerprints on this duct tape. They didn't find Casey's fingerprints. They didn't Mm -hmm. find George Anthony's fingerprints. But the, the other thing here is, uh, they also didn't find any DNA, Now, now the thing that I would argue here that this does not point to anybody being innocent in my mind, whether, whether you want to fight for Casey or whether you want to fight for George, it doesn't point to either of them being innocent that no DNA was found because they didn't find any DNA of Kaylee. It was on her. the, The body was so far decomposed. And on top of that, duct tape has has certain natural fibers that are in it as well. Mm -hmm. And from from it sitting out for six months in the heat and that area had flooded at one point mm-hmm. and in, you know, in the rain and all the elements, any trace of DNA was removed from the duct tape. Furthermore, any of those natural fibers had basically disintegrated by this point, by the time that they found Kaylee's body. So they have the duct tape, right? And then we know that that's connected to the Anthony household. It's the same brand. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we have this laundry basket. Yeah, long laundry bag. Okay, so this laundry bag, they're sold in pairs. The other pair is found at the Anthony household. Yes, the, the this is actually a pretty common bag. It's something you could buy at any grocery store, but like the captain said, it's sold in at like a two or three pack, and they found the other ones at the home. Uh, Kaylee Anthony's whole bedroom is decorated in Winnie the Pooh stuff, and they found a Winnie the Pooh blanket mm-hmm. at the scene. Mm-hmm. Now, so, you know. yeah. Well, um, and what they're going to point out there is that, you know, it, in the beginning, 
Casey was stating that this was, well, not a stranger abduction, that it was a nanny abduction. Oh, a zanny the nanny. Yeah, and the prosecution here is pointing out that, look, sorry, but every item that was found where Kaylee was found mm-hmm. was found in the Anthony home. This body was transferred from the Anthony home. Right, basically saying everything that comes out of this girl's mouth is horse shit. Mm-hmm. And it's not even just the zanny the nanny thing. Then it became this whole... Well, it's somebody else, and there's this whole sex ring, and it's sex trafficking, and all this crazy nonsense mm-hmm. that Casey kept on throwing out. Uh, and that was just to get people talking about something other than her. Yeah. Well, it's at this point in the trial that, you know, while they're talking about the duct tape, the investigators, they show photographs of the remains of Kaylee. And some of these photos show that the duct tape appears to be over the mouth area. Now, mm-hmm. one investig- investigator does admit that the duct tape might not have originally been on the mouth and could have shifted position as he collected the remains. Uh, at this point in the trial, Casey Anthony becomes ill looking at the photographs and the jury is dismissed for the day. The prosecution also brought into the trial some video footage. Now, we talked about this. This is all video that we've seen on CNN Fox News, Nancy Grace, Nancy Grace, all everybody that was covering the trial. Top mom. This was video footage showing Casey Anthony yelling at her parents while she's in jail, lying mm-hmm. to her parents while she's in jail. Mm-hmm. And, and but the interesting thing here, Captain, is there is video footage of her denying to an officer on July 16th, 2008, that Kaylee had drowned in the pool as the officer had suggested to her. Right now. You would think, right, that this would be a big home run for the prosecution, right? First, we have this woman, Casey Anthony, that nobody likes anyway. And now we are showing you video footage of her lying to her parents. Right. Uh, But what ends up happening is this actually only ends up being what I would consider to be a small victory for the prosecution because they end up showing the jury two tapes. Mm -hmm. And both of the tapes are very long, extremely long, where we're only actually showing small parts of herself of Casey making herself look very bad in a very short period. And one thing that we know is one of the worst things you can do in a trial is to bore the jury. You know, they, they lose interest. They lose focus of what's important at that moment. If you drag things out too long, mm-hmm. our listeners are saying the same thing about the show here. Smell this. <laughs> hey, come here. People say, have you seen those videotapes of her in prison? Oh man, she's the worst person ever. It's very small fragments where she is the worst person ever, but she is the worst person ever. But I, I think it's a huge home run, and the jury just didn't catch on to that. Your defense came from this police officer. Mm-hmm. Your defense came from, well, what makes the most logical sense? Yeah. Oh, she drowned in the pool. This is how we're going to defend you. But you already denied that before. And that's going to be your argument. If I'm on the jury, I'm going, this troll is lying about everything. The ev- all the evidence points to her having knowledge. All the evidence points to her lying about everything. And then on top of that, her defense is something she already denied. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, Captain? Here's where I think that they made a, a quite a big stumble, the prosecution, that is. One, not only showing the, the lengthy tapes, 
But you know what I would have done? Just that little clip of her denying it to the officer. You got to pull like that JFK moment, you know, from Oliver Stone's great movie. Back. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. You just keep showing that part Back of the tape over the and over and over again. Rather than showing them almost, I think they spent Back into the left. most of the day reviewing these two tapes. It was extremely long. And I think you could have really just honed in on a few points and really hit the home run, a grand slam even, with that back into the left of showing her denying that to the uh, officer. Yeah, I probably would have. Play it a hundred times, right? Yeah. Just play it a hundred times. Uh, you sure she didn't drown in the pool? Nope. Sure she didn't drown in the pool? Mm-hmm. Nope. Just keep playing it over and over. Yeah, so we have we have the medical examiner, and I and we're not going to go through all of that because we, we know that they said that this was a homicide. And we know that the defense is saying, well, you can't you can't say that because you can't give us a cause of death. They ruled it a homicide because of the duct tape, because the body was hidden, because nobody reported her missing. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the reasons for doing so. But an expert that was called in, this is an expert in forensic entomology, uh, states that he found flies related to decomposition in the trunk of Casey's car. Now, the defense is going to call their own expert. Uh, that is an expert in the same field. And this expert will state that there was, if there was a body in the trunk, uh, they should have found hundreds or thousands of these blow flies trapped in the trunk. So where one expert says we found, we found flies. Uh, I I think it was like one or two, you know, (laughs) maybe two or three flies. Mm -hmm. And the defense is saying that you should have found Hundreds or, or thousands of them. Let's be clear, though. That was all cleaned out when they got the car. Right. They pulled stuff from the trunk. Initially, mm-hmm. they all smelled a bad smell and they threw away trash yeah. that that uh, the mother claims there was maggots all over. Yeah. Maggots and flies and all that stuff. So there's your hundreds of flies that were thrown out as evidence. Well, but also the defense is going to claim that it, with this expert that these the, the flies that they found that they're saying are related to a decomposing body mm-hmm. are the same that you would expect to find in rotting trash as well. Okay. Uh, now, we talked about the computer activity on the Anthony's home computer. Uh, so they're going to call, the state and the defense are both going to call several software analysts. Um, and one will state that someone used the Anthony computer to search a website. This is SciSpot.com for chloroform mm-hmm. 84 times on March 21st, 2008. Uh, 84 during, times. 84 times. That's a lot of research. During cross-examination, this expert admits that the automatic page reloading could account for that number. And there was no way of knowing how many times chloroform was actually searched Mm -hmm. uh and furthermore they could not state who or or they could not know who was the person performing the searches on the computer at that time um but here's what's interesting go for it is that there's only two adults in the household at this time so we have george or casey that is by all evidence the only two adults that could have been in the household at the time Now, the defense is going to call Casey's mother, and she's going to come to the stand, and she's going to testify, I made that search. Right. And then the prosecution is going to come back and go, hey, crazy, you were at work, right? (laughs) 
everything states that you're at work. Yeah, and, there's and time it, cards to prove so. There's right. coworkers stating that you, that were, you were there. there. And she still lies. No, that was me because I was looking up this thing uh, because of the bamboo. You have to kill certain things of the bamboo, and I, and and I misspelled it, and it this came up, and I clicked on it. Yeah, if you type in the first few letters of what you're searching for, some a more popular search might be the first that appears, and you click on that. Where the prosecution dropped the ball, and what the defense was ready for mm-hmm. was this other search, death by suffocation. Right. And the, for some reason during the trial, the, the the prosecution never brought this up. No, they spent most of the time trying to prove that Cindy uh, was not the one that searched for chloroform. Right. And what what they're also able to confirm is that a, a search for chloroform on the Anthony computer uh, took place not only on March 21st, but uh, there was also how to make chloroform on March 17th, 2008. So we have two different searches here. Um, the defense is also going to claim that Casey didn't know what chloroform was and that she had searched for chloroform because it was something she had seen on her, was it her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend at the time, his MySpace or Facebook page, that he had some kind of post that said, win her over with chloroform. It was supposed to be some kind of joke where you see a- Some really shitty joke. A, a, a man, Good job. You just made a shitty joke on MySpace. A well-dressed man standing behind a well-dressed woman mm. saying, win, win her over with chloroform. And the, the search was simply for, she didn't know what it was and wanted to look it up and figure out why that post was so funny. Um, it Which that, look, that explains the one, but because the prosecution didn't bring up death by suffocation, then, you know- they, they dropped the ball there, big yes. time, big yeah. time. While we're talking about the investigators, let's talk about a lead detective that uh, testified during the trial. And he stated that there were no phone calls between Cindy and George Anthony during the week of June 16th, 2008. But he went on to admit that he was not aware that George Anthony had a second cell phone. Now, Cindy will be called to the stand to testify. Yes, and she will testify that uh, she swam with Kaylee the night before she was last seen in the family's above-ground swimming pool. And she also would testify that Kaylee could get up the ladder into the pool by herself. Uh, She also believed that Casey worked at Universal Studios in Orlando uh, and believed that there was a babysitter named Zanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cindy Anthony says that uh, her description of Casey's car smelling like someone had died or, or like something had died in the damn car. Right. And that's what we heard on the 911 call. Mm-hmm. On the stand, she says that that was just simply a figure of speech mm-hmm. uh, that she she ultimately ended up trying to get rid of the smell by spraying Febreze all within the car and inside the trunk as well. Uh, she says that on the evening of June 16th, when she came home from work that she did find the pool ladder in the pool, you know, so it was attached to the pool. So somebody could get into the pool with that ladder being up. And she also stated that Kaylee did have the ability and had witnessed it on more than one occasion of opening up the sliding back door to the home to get out to the pool by herself. Well, you know, she can't open that if it's locked. Right. Right. She couldn't or she couldn't climb the ladder if it was not up. Right. She also stated in her testimony that she definitely recalls the ladder being up on the night of the 16th because she remembers having a conversation with George about that ladder being up. 
stating that it should not have been up uh, because after swimming with Kaylee the night before, that she had remembered taking the ladder down. So she had this conversation with him about why the ladder would be up to the pool. Um, at some point during the trial, the defense then shows a, a picture to the jury. Uh, and after hearing Cindy's comments, uh, this is a pretty powerful picture because this is a picture of, of young Kaylee opening the sliding glass door at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, it clearly showing that she was able to do so. Now, in the picture, this is kind of a famous picture, so I, I shouldn't have to describe it too much. You cannot actually see Kaylee's face, but you kind of see what appears that she may have run into the room. You see the back of her little body with her hair, and her arm is reaching up, and her hand has has opening the sliding glass door. And like you stated before, she is going to you know make the claims that she did the Google searches. Yeah, and that's just false. And I think a lot of her testimony is just false. And I think she's a liar. And I also think she's somebody that doesn't want to believe that her child is capable of uh, murdering her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, and I think we talked about this a while back though, um, is the idea that she already lost her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And she can't do anything about that. And one of the reasons why I think the prosecution shouldn't have went for the death penalty is that by doing so, you're going to put both of her parents in a defensive mode mm-hmm. because they need to defend her at least through the trial. Right? Right. And and Casey's mother states... Well, maybe not to the point that she doesn't receive prison time, but, you know, because there there was first-degree murder charge and a manslaughter charge. Maybe the maybe Cindy's thoughts were, okay, I could see maybe Casey was, you know, guilty of some type of manslaughter charge, but not that of a first-degree murder. Right. Here's the problem with it. She made this statement saying, oh, well, you know, I prayed to God, and I prayed, and I prayed you know, to spare my daughter's life. Or actually what she stated was, give me an answer. Mm -hmm. If she is guilty of this, then find her guilty. Mm -hmm. The problem with this, you hypocrite Christian, is that you lied on the stand. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't lie on the stand, then, then maybe she is found guilty. Right. So you can't sit there and say, well, you know, God gave me the answers you're lying for some of those answers. Well, and I think in my opinion that uh, Cindy was the most interesting person to watch on the stand. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, one, cause I didn't know, I never had a clue what she was going to say next, what her answer would be to the next question. Right. Um, but, but the thing that was fascinating to me is, you know, the prosecution's made up of a team. It's not just one person, you know, they had to, they had a, a you know, very, bright group of people working on this prosecution team and but she would go toe to toe with every one of them and she would get you know she'd make her mean little face and she'd Mm. point at them from time to time and she would argue with them you know she would dance with anybody on that prosecution team she's definitely a bright individual and any time that the prosecutors seemed unhappy with her answers or like they maybe they didn't believe her Mm -hmm. uh she was willing to argue it uh till the end of the day if she had to so it was interesting to me to watch the interaction between her and the prosecutors when they necessarily didn't agree with what she was saying and i and i want to be clear i feel for this 
individual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She lost her, her baby, you know, yeah, her granddaughter, but her baby. And then in the process, she's losing her daughter. Right. Uh, I to- I can't even imagine or to, to begin to tell you what I would do, but I have, to, it's really hard for me to lie because I physically get sick. For example, I did, well, I can't even say it. I was going to go to do 10 miles on my bike the other day, right? Uh, okay. Somebody texted me. They said, how many miles did you get? Well, I got 9.9. Right. Most people would just go 10. You look like you're physically getting sick. Uh, yeah, because I can't. <laughs> no, but it's like, but some people just, uh, some people are just honest people. And and maybe she was lying. Look, if she's lying to protect her daughter, I feel for you. But at the same time, there's no justice. There's no justice for that little baby. Mm-mm. And, and, and. That's something that you could have gave to that little baby that you didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, there was also a big question regarding uh, another one of her actions, and this would be that private investigators that worked for the Anthony family. Now, I want to be clear on this. They did not work for Casey Anthony. They worked for George and Cindy Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, And I don't really understand what the defense was trying to point out about this situation, But uh, they were trying to prove that Cindy had sent the private investigators to search the area where Kaylee's body would later be found. Um, Maybe they were trying to point out that the the parents knew where the body would be, Mm -hmm. uh, that where the body would be found and that they wanted their investigators to find the body. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. Or maybe there was a tip. Yeah. And and, um, Cindy would deny that on stand. Uh, she said that she never sent the private investigators to that area to find to to look for Kaylee's body. Um, but even though that there was proof of that, right? Well, the the proof came with some other people involved in the trial. First of all, you had um, uh, remember Mellish, Detective Mellish, that we talked about. Mm-hmm. He stated that he heard Cindy direct them to that area to to search that area. Uh, we also have Lee Anthony, her own son, says that. Under testified to this, that he knew that his mother sent the investigators to that area to search for Kaylee. Um, He states that she sent them to that area after she had spoken to a psychic. Um, But again, she would deny this. And this is another part of the trial where you see them call Cindy for a little bit. She gives her testimony. Then they call these other people to kind of, you know, uh, discredit that. And then they call Cindy again, and she sticks with what she had said. Now, uh, on the stand, though, Lee, the the other thing that I found interesting that he had said as well. Lee would be the brother. Yes, that's Casey's older brother. Um, Lee Anthony stated that he was not told that Casey was pregnant with Kaylee until just days before Kaylee's birth. So that kind of backs up the weird thing that the defense brought up with Cindy's brother saying, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the parents were trying to hide this, this pregnancy, um, you know, during, even when Casey was seven and a half months pregnant. Well, and again, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was funny about the discovery ID documentary was how she was saying, you know, oh, well, Casey was so excited to have this baby and she wanted this baby and she was wanted to be a mother and we were all excited. Mm. Uh, that's not true. It doesn't seem like And it. then we have a we have 
friends that came forward saying, oh, well, when she found out that she was pregnant, she really didn't know who the father was. And then she was like, I'm just going to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And then the mother talked her out of that. And probably the mother said, oh, no, we'll be here for you. Mm -hmm. And and we'll, we'll, we'll help you. And so you didn't know who the father was. Then she lied to guys about who the father was mm-hmm. and then they had to take tests and figure out well you're lying to me well there's no honor amongst thieves right and i know they're not thieves but but we're talking about a lot of people telling a lot of stories that just don't add up at the end of the day uh, a couple things that took place with casey during the trial we talked about her breaking down and uh during when they were showing the picture of pictures of the remains um but some other interesting tidbits was on june 25th uh, Judge Belvin Perry Jr., he temporarily halts proceedings after the defense makes a motion to determine if Casey was even competent to stand uh, or to proceed with the trial. Uh, two days later, she is found competent and they carry on with the trial. This is after a psychological evaluation. Uh, just a few days after that, uh, this is when Casey tells the judge that she does not want to testify on her own behalf. So for those of you that didn't keep track during the trial or didn't watch the trial, she actually never took the stand. Now the defense is going to call a witness named Crystal Holloway. Yes. And for me, this is like the Matlock witness. Remember the old courtroom show drama Matlock? Mm-hmm. And once in a while they would, you know, not every episode, but once in a while they'd pull some witness or person up to the stand. And it was the witness that's totally out of left field. Somebody you didn't expect to hear from. The whole episode you never heard of this person. And then all of a sudden everything becomes very clear. Well, I don't know that this made anything more clear for me, but what it did do was this was the witness out of nowhere for me. I didn't know who this person was. Mm -hmm. And when they started making these statements, I thought, Wow, this is this is truly truly a mystery here. Now, Crystal Holloway, she was actually a uh, volunteer that 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 volunteered during some of these searches for Kaylee, um, and she was called to the stand because she, well, according to her testimony, she states that she had an affair with George Anthony, and she states that George Anthony, during the course of their relationship, had told her that Kaylee's death was simply an accident that snowballed out of control. Now, under cross-examination, she also agreed uh, with her earlier statement to police, which she said George Anthony did not say that he knew it was an accident, uh, which is mm, pretty confusing in itself. Uh, But the thing we have here, okay, um, Judge Perry ends up telling the jurors that Crystal Holloway's testimony could it could be used to impeach George Anthony's credibility, but that it was not proof of how Kaylee died. So we get some additional instruction from from the judge to the jury there, which is a little more than what I think is right. necessary. But when they go back and talk to George, you know, she claims she had an affair with him and he denies that. Yes. And he doesn't deny that he went to her house, which I thought was kind of odd. Because uh, he claimed, I think he went to her house three times. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Well, you know, you're, you're a married man. I don't know if you should be going over to a lady's house that many times. That especially somebody that you just met, just just came into your life. It's not like a longtime friend or anything. Yeah, Crystal Holloway would claim that they had a, a sexual relationship, that they had a romantic affair that went on for some time. 
that they spoke not only, you know, not only over the phone, but they texted one another from time to time. And furthermore, that she loaned George quite a bit of money. I think it was like $5,000 or something like that. Which I kind of, that to me kind of rings true of a, a kind of a true statement. Cause we know how much George had issues financially. Mm-hmm. So, but we also have to take into account, you know, where this is coming from, right? This is coming from a lady that got involved with the searches. Uh, some people want to find the missing baby, right? Some people just want to be involved. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think this is one of those people. Yeah, I think she just wanted to be involved, and when the searches are over, okay, I can, you know, is it a made-up story that they had an affair? I don't know. Is it a made-up story that George told her something? I don't know. Right. You know, I, I just, I, I, you know, <laughs> there's so many people in this case that lie. Yeah. That it's hard to believe anything anyone's saying. Well, and I and I believe that she gave that she said that he told her that statement that it was an accident that snowballed out of control before they found the body of Kaylee. Now, the other thing that the that the defense would present is that she lived in one of those condo communities, this Crystal Holloway, and they had a security guard from that from that condo community that had seen George going to and from her condo on several occasions. Now, mm-hmm. like you said, George does not deny that he went to visit her. He does deny any type of romantic relationship with her. He denies that he ever borrowed any money from her. Mm -hmm. He does state that he visited her on several occasions. He exchanged text messages with her. Um, He was stating that she, he was under the impression that she had some form of cancer or a tumor and that he thought that he was, you know, she needed somebody to talk with. She needed somebody to spend some time with her and that he thought he was doing a, a good deed right. in, in spending time with her and helping her through her her troubled time. As far as closing statements go, they did a lot of just repeat. They basically mirror what both the defense and the prosecution was trying to prove in their opening statements and throughout the course of the trial. One of the big differences here though was because Baez didn't prove or even try to prove any sexual abuse mm-hmm. that the they were ordered by the judge that you can't talk about that in closing in your closing argument. Correct. You, you can't bring that up. Correct. You didn't and, and to me that's that's pretty sneaky, pretty slimy to make these allegations from the get go to make all the jury go, Whoa, what's going on here? You can't unhear things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what Baez was doing there. This is absolutely a whale of a case. Everything that took place before, and then mm-hmm. we get to the trial. Was it the trial of the century? One could argue that. You know, the trial against the woman, the most hated woman in America. Well, it's a whale of evidence, right? Mm-hmm. And so and all that, all the lies and all that speculation of what was going on in those 31 days, uh, such a mystery. Like we said, the trial's huge. Now we have to go over the verdict Mm -hmm. and then we have to go over the aftermath. There's all these odd things that keep popping up. Some stuff that just popped up recently. And uh, the parents have interesting theories now looking back on things. And then, of course, our thoughts on the troll. 
I'm looking forward to that, Captain. Maybe tomorrow. You know what? Maybe I'll take the handcuffs off you and, <laughs> and, and stop holding you back so much regarding this. I can't tell you guys how many times I've had to edit some of my bad words. We'll certainly give you a little window uh, for that tomorrow. Well, thanks for supporting the show. We love you. And make sure you support our sponsors. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll see you guys tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't let us. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.